0: Forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Missing is produced
0: by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime It is often the absence of someone that brings the most into focus the sudden death of a loved one or splitting up from your other half for example The heightened emotions of these events often make the person who's no longer around seem all the more vivid, more technicolour. It's no different when someone goes missing. Details that seemed trivial before become particularly precious.
2: She was incredibly kind. She was really, really funny.
0: Throwaway facts are like treasure. She was quite shy. And every memory becomes a lifeline to hold on to. She was this
2: vivacious person that you just didn't forget.
0: But knowing someone so well can also lead you to torturous conclusions. You know, I knew her inside out. I said, can I
2: ask you a question? Did she take Reese? He said, no.
0: I said, then she's dead. I'm Pandora Sykes and you're listening to The Missing a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They've joined together to bring you 20 real stories of long-term missing people in the UK. Cases that have never been solved, so can never be closed. This is The Missing, Natalie Putt.
2: Natalie was the sort of person that I know it sounds quite cliché but would literally be a friend to anybody. She was one of the most kindest people I know. She had a bit of an edge to her and could certainly handle her own um, but mainly she was this just very vivacious person
0: that you just didn't forget. That's Becky. It's 17 years since Becky last saw her younger half sister Natalie, who disappeared from her home in Dudley in the West Midlands on the 1st of September 2003. Regardless of how long it's been, Becky has no shortage of things to say about Natalie. Despite a nine and a half year age gap and sometimes troubled family circumstances, the two were exceptionally close i was
2: fiercely protective of her i always wanted somebody that i could dress up and put little bows in their hair and that's what she she was she wasn't like a doll or anything but she certainly
0: was somebody that quite enjoyed being pampered and as natalie grew into a teenager becky trod the fine line between sibling and parent
2: when she was 14, she came to stay with me for a little while. We used to just laugh and laugh and laugh, and it was quite difficult sometimes to say, actually, it's really late. I think you should go to bed, because she was my sister, and sisters don't have bedtimes. My sister was also my bridesmaid, and the night before my wedding, she would say things like, okay, you need to go to sleep now because you're getting married in the morning. Then one of us would start talking again and then we'd start giggling. And I remember going going to to the actual church absolutely shattered because I'd only had about three hours sleep. And that was because no matter what the age was at that point, we were very much together like sisters. And that then, that's why, in a way, I'm always sad the night before my wedding anniversary.
0: It's always a bit of a, like I look back and think, wow. Another detail about Natalie she was one of life's natural born rebels. Lovable, yes, but defiant, certainly. And nowhere was this more obvious than at school, where she clashed with her classmates and teachers alike. So she would just say,
2: well, I well, I don't agree with you, sir. And then they, they would say things like, well, you know, they'd raise their voice. And she'd say, you're not supposed to shout at me. You're not supposed to shout at children. And then that would wind them up and she'd get kicked out. She said to me, that was my ultimate goal, was to be kicked out of out the classroom. She used to say, well, who needs an education anyway? I'll be fine. I don't need a job. I'll be fine.
0: <laughs> and that would be it. But while Natalie wasn't keen on getting an education, there was one thing she did desperately want. To be a mother. After a turbulent childhood and custody battles between her mum and dad, she craved a family of her own. When she found out she was pregnant,
2: she really, really changed. She settled, really... It was like this fulfilment, she... she That that was going to be her role in life, was to go and be somebody's mum. She gave up smoking, she read up on babies,
0: she read up on labour, we had a little chat about it. And in sunny June 2003, along came a baby, a gorgeous little boy who Natalie named Reese. She was absolutely
2: besotted by him and just so in in
0: love with this little, fragile human being. At 17 years old, Natalie was a young mum, and Reese's arrival signified a huge gear shift for her. She'd been used to endless freedom, going out, socialising with her friends whenever she wanted, but she didn't miss that. There was the odd niggle where she'd say, or she'd bumped into a friend and they
2: weren't, you know, they were like, well... You know, do you want to come out? She said, no, I just said to them, no, he's my life now. And I truly believed
0: that. I truly, truly believed in what she was saying to me. Reese's dad was a man named Kevin, who Natalie had been in a relationship with for a year or so. They'd met after both getting excluded from school, and Becky had plenty of reservations about her sister's choice in partner and the relationship they had. I would describe it as
2: tempestuous. She did say to me that, um, you know, there were times when she gave as good as she got.
0: Before Reese arrived, Becky suspected Natalie was unhappy. She rarely spoke about Kevin or the relationships when the sisters met up. But falling pregnant changed things. The relationship had a purpose...
2: Natalie fell pregnant very quickly. She, you know, obviously was no doubt that she was going to continue with the pregnancy. There was never any suggestion of anything else. But in a way, I do think, had she not got pregnant, how long would it have been before that relationship would have fizzled out?
0: Becky's instincts proved to be right. In fact, not long after Reese was born, Natalie told Kevin that she wanted to go on a break. She was unhappy. She needed to make a change in her life. But whatever changes she had in mind, what followed was something unexpected. When
2: I got back in the house, I was confronted with a hysterical younger sister. Becky, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've had a phone call from the police and they've said that Natalie has been reported as a missing person.
0: Natalie had been reported missing on Monday. It was now Friday, a whole five days, where Becky had been completely in the dark about her sister's disappearance. I was just frantic, I just didn't
2: know what to do. I just genuinely s- stood there looking around thinking, what am I gonna do? What I need to do something, I need to, I need to do something. So I rang her mobile and of course it was off. I texted her just in case. I thought this has gotta be a mistake, she wouldn't go missing. She wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't leave Reese
0: behind. The police filled Becky and the family in on what they knew so far. That Becky had been with Kevin before going missing. They had
2: been told by Kevin that he they'd met up and he'd uh, they wanted to discuss the 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 relationship, the state of their relationship, uh, with a view of potentially ending it, and that they'd, you know, there'd be no argument.
0: Kevin told the police that Natalie had put baby Reese in his cot to sleep, and then said, "I'll I'll be back in a bit. I'm literally going to the shop
2: and back, and um, that she never returned. That was it."
0: Natalie was a young woman with a young baby navigating a potential breakup. Understandably, the police had lots of questions about her mental state. He said, "Uh, do you think your sister had postnatal
2: depression? I said, no, I don't. Absolutely not. Absolutely. No way on this earth would she have gone. This was my baby sister that was out there alone. What makes, you know, potentially somebody get up and leave
0: their baby? They don't. They don't. Becky was so determined to rule out the suggestion that depression was a factor in Natalie's disappearance that she contacted her sister's health visitor, the nurse or midwife assigned to look after a woman for the weeks after they've had a baby.
2: I said to her, can you tell me did you believe that my sister had postnatal depression? And she said, no. She was a really attentive mum, you know. And, and I was like, thank you. Nobody in any sort of capacity had any concerns about the baby, about Reese and her care and her love of him. Nobody.
0: The police also pressed Becky about the possibility that Natalie could have run away voluntarily. She was young. Maybe she wanted to feel carefree again. And it's certainly true that Natalie, ever the rebel, had run away a few times when she was younger. That was
2: one of the things that she did. But she would go to a mate's house. It was a bit like a cat and mouse. It was more of an attention thing, you know... Um, to prove a point that they'd had a row, and she'd storm out, you know, and she'd bunk up at a mate's house. But that was that was way before she got pregnant. Way before she got pregnant, she was Reese's mum, and she was not going to leave him.
0: You know, she was not going to leave him. As the weeks passed. Various sightings trickled in, giving fuel to the thought that Natalie was out there somewhere, maybe too embarrassed to come home or living an alternative life.
2: One was that she was seen stealing a carpet and had been run over by this man who she rolled on the bonnet. He was able to
0: get a good look of her face. The police checked the CCTV. It wasn't Natalie. Natalie.
2: There was another one, that was she boarded a train. So her dad went and looked at the CCTV footage.
0: It definitely wasn't Natalie. But there was one sighting which got Natalie's relatives' hopes up. One tip-off which seemed particularly plausible.
2: There was a midwife that had gone to see a young girl fitting Natalie's description. She'd recently had a baby, it was a bit of a concealed pregnancy, but she'd come forward and they were giving her maternity services.
0: The police visited, and again, it wasn't Natalie. But despite the disappointment, Becky was grateful. At least Natalie's description was doing the rounds, and hopefully soon, the right person, someone with some information, would see it. But there were no more sightings.
2: From there on in, apart from there, there was nothing. Nothing. The police wanted me to believe that she literally vanished into thin air. She left the house, piff-paff-puff,
0: gone. It's been 17 years since Natalie's disappearance, and Becky has never wavered in her unstinting belief that Natalie would not have left Reese behind willingly. Not once. Her adamant assertion that Natalie had come to harm surprised even the police. They reminded Becky that this was a missing persons investigation, not a murder inquiry. But from the very first moments of Becky learning about her sister going missing, she knew.
2: My initial, th- well, all the way through, has been that something horrific. Happened to Natalie that day And everybody kept saying to me You're wrong, you're wrong There's no evidence to suggest that she's been murdered There's no evidence, there's no evidence, there's no evidence And all I ever knew was that she went out to the shop
0: And she never came home The investigation into Natalie's disappearance evolved in fits and starts over the next decade. There were arrests, searches, appeals and sightings. But we'll pick up this story again in December 2018, 15 years after Natalie's disappearance, when a hearing into her presumed death begins, an inquest. An inquest dissects, in granular detail, information pertinent to the case. Evidence is given, interviews take place, and a coroner aims to come to a conclusion, or verdict, about what happened. In most cases, the information sifted through is largely known to the family of the missing person. But for Becky, Natalie's inquest became an event which was illuminating for all the wrong reasons. I would say that probably
2: majority of the information that I now know was found out via that inquest. The way that the investigation was handled, the information that they had, the evidence that they had was the most shocking, was the stuff that now... I am immensely angry. I'm immensely
0: sad. The details which emerged at Natalie's inquest were a catalogue of bizarre actions and reactions, dead ends, chilling clues and shocking evidence. Despite refusing to ever escalate Natalie's case into a murder investigation, during the hearing... Police said they believed she had been killed. Some of the details which came out in the inquest feel minor, small. Becky found out that Natalie left to go to the shop without her phone. In fact, Kevin told police that it was finding her phone on the kitchen counter later that day, which prompted him to call the police, as that was unusual. Another detail was that police checks revealed that Natalie had failed to claim her social security benefits, which were due that day. But some details were much bigger, much more impactful, if rarely clear-cut. Becky discovered some more information about a man who hadn't long been in Natalie's life, but had clearly played an important role. The main things
2: I found out was that she was actually in a relationship. They'd probably been seeing each other a month, six weeks.
0: One of Natalie's favourite things were horses, and she kept a pony on some land owned by a local man called Chris. They'd started spending more time with each other, and Chris's demeanour at the inquest was of a heartbroken man.
2: He spoke about her incredibly fondly in the inquest. I think they, they, they were falling in love. I went into that inquest suspicious and I came out of that thing thinking, no, Chris
0: totally was in love with her. Chris has played a pivotal role in the events leading up to Natalie's disappearance. On the 31st of August, the day before Natalie disappeared, she and baby Reese attended a horse fair with Chris, her dad and a group of friends. At the end of the day, the group went to the pub and Natalie told her dad that she and Reese were going to stay at Chris's that night. She also said that she was planning to speak to her ex, Kevin, the very next day. She needed to tell him it was over for good. So, on the morning of the 1st of September, It was actually Chris who dropped Natalie and baby Reese at home. When they pulled up in the car, Kevin was there, waiting. He
2: watched her go in, in through the door and he could, you know, he knew Kevin
0: was there. A few hours later, around midday, Natalie allegedly goes to the shop for cigarettes and never comes back. In the wake of Natalie's disappearance, police had been told something which shaped the entire investigation.
2: There was a voice message that was left to Chris from Natalie at about two o'clock in the morning of the 2nd or the 3rd of September, saying that she'd gone to, I think, Coventry or something like that, a place and that she had had enough and basically
0: we could all do one. At the time, Becky, flabbergasted, had asked to hear the voicemail, only to be told it had been wiped after five days. It was this voicemail that stopped the police, despite Becky's insistence, from converting the case from a missing persons inquiry into a murder investigation. The voicemail suggested Natalie was still alive and have voluntarily left her hometown of Dudley, something which never made sense to Becky.
2: I'd always said, hang on a minute, why would she ring somebody that she'd only known for a short period of time over preference over me, her dad, or anybody else? You know, she knew her dad had a mobile phone, Why out of all those people did she decide
0: to ring Chris? Throughout all the initial appeals, all the public calls for Natalie to come home, Becky couldn't understand why her sister, if she really was still alive, hadn't just picked up the phone. It has troubled her for years.
2: I doubted myself as a sister. Why didn't she ring me? Why didn't she ring me? I could have gone and helped her. I could have gone and got the baby. I could have done anything. Do you know what I mean? Why? And then it was like things like, why did she leave Reese? What drove her to leave him? And it was just those little teeny tiny nagging, niggling things that almost honestly drove me mad.
0: During the inquest, Chris was asked about the voicemail in question and made a startling revelation.
2: The last time I heard from your sister was when I left her when she went into the house. I was expecting her to phone me later and she didn't. It didn't exist. He never
0: received a voicemail from Natalie. With one piece of the puzzle seemingly wrapped up, an account of something even more troubling was addressed. In the first few months after Natalie's disappearance, a taxi driver came forward with some evidence about a fare of his. A fare he'd picked up on the 2nd of September, the day after Natalie's disappearance.
2: I found out that Kevin had ordered a taxi. Um, He'd um, asked for it to be a larger vehicle. It was from his number at my sister's address, and he, when the taxi arrived, they beat the horn outside. He beckoned the driver down the drive to Natalie's. He came out, he put Reese and a pushchair in the front part of the car, and he um, placed
0: four bin bags in. The taxi driver reportedly noticed the strength which Kevin used to hoist the bim bags into the car, using both hands and exerting himself. He also refused any help lifting them. After a short drive, Kevin unloaded the bags at his mother's house.
2: So basically what we're saying is that he rang that taxi in the morning. I think they put it at something like, nine or half past nine, and then the police went round that afternoon and started the missing persons report. So, potentially, Natalie was already out of the house and wherever by then. And it wasn't just in the morning. There was also a taxi that was phoned that evening of the 1st but the taxi did actually arrive at the house, at Natalie's house that evening, but nobody came
0: out, so they went away. Kevin categorically denied ever phoning a taxi, and it's a claim which remains unproven. Importantly, later, the taxi driver who claimed to have driven Kevin as his passenger failed to pick him out of a police-organised identity lineup. But police did already have some physical evidence, something they'd found in Natalie's loft nine days after her disappearance during an extensive search. A T-shirt. A T-shirt with Natalie's blood on it.
2: The pathologist had said it was her blood with his DNA, but it wasn't significant enough to suggest a pattern. It was too spots of blood, but there was something else as well, which they didn't go into.
0: The police admitted that at the time, they didn't think the discovery was significant enough to escalate Natalie's case from a missing persons inquiry, something which Becky is, to this day, incredibly angry about.
2: I felt like I was going to boil over the fact that they had had all this evidence and had decided that she was still a missing person.
0: A large focus of the inquest centred around the months after Natalie disappeared, when the case was at its height and developments came thick and fast. The inquest transported Natalie's friends and family back to December the 16th, 2003, when detectives dug up a garden in a residential street in Briley Hill, the former home of Kevin. For Becky, it brought up hard memories from that time. You feel
2: very confused about it because obviously you're like <gasps> and, then, and then when they say no, nothing was found, you're thinking, Oh God. And of course, when she was you know, inverted comma's missing, you were like, Oh god, this could be it, and they're thinking that they're looking for a body, and then you're thinking, that's really bad that you want them to find a body. But then at the same time, you're thinking, at
0: least it would be over, at least you'd know. After that search, an arrest took place on suspicion of murder. They arrested
2: Kevin in the January. He was held for 72 hours. Although he was released with no charge, there must have been a reason for
0: holding somebody for 72 hours. Again, we should reiterate, Kevin was released without charge. He has never been charged with anything to do with Natalie's disappearance. At the end of the inquest, the coroner ruled that Natalie had died within her home address, or within the vicinity of her home, on the 1st of September 2003. But he didn't name who he thought was responsible for her death. My legs went,
2: she did not deserve that. She didn't deserve, you know, everyone's got to die, you know, but at 17.
0: Becky has her theories on what happened to Natalie, but she also believes the police could have done more. They did too little, too late.
2: And that's it. They had it all there. I mean, the the taxi driver gave them a statement, and the vehicle, they never searched it. It was just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to find that this they'd had it all there. It was all there. And they just let it go. They just, it's gone.
0: Natalie's case is still open. The coroner has ruled his verdict, but the police are yet to figure out what happened to Natalie. That said, Natalie's case is different to most of the other missing people's cases we've featured in this series. In this instance, rather than a lack of information keeping the case open, there is plenty of detail that leads Natalie's family, the police, and even a coroner, to believe that she is dead. But that doesn't mean they've got the answers they need to close the case. And so just like the families from our other cases, closure is still out of reach for Natalie's loved ones. Justice has not been served and their heartbreak is still raw. But some people that you say things to, they say, well,
2: you haven't found a body. That's so unhelpful because actually, no, you're right. I don't have, I don't have that. I know what happened to her, and I know now what, you know, that I'm not going to get all of her back. But unless people have been through it, you know, comparing my loss to the loss of their dog, or their loss of their grandma, or, you know, is, it's not really comparable to the pain that we're, we're you know, that, that, that people in my situation feel. And as much as people mean well,
0: ambiguous loss is very different. Could you help end the ambiguity? Do you have any information which is relevant which could help solve what happened to Natalie on the 1st of September, 2003. Whatever
2: you think is insignificant, please tell them, because actually it might be the most significant.
0: So, please, if anyone thinks they can contribute to the what, the why, the how and the whens of this case, please come forward. But remember that you're doing this for the who. For Natalie. She used to say, I'm not anything special.
2: But she really was, to be honest. She really was special.
0: We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details. Not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.
1: This season, we're launching a new
0: episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's The Story Crime. Just search for What's The Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.